Welcome to Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hwai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts. I am Anya Crittenton, a writer at Gay Star News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. You stumble upon an iPod in the year 2019. It's got only one thing on it. A podcast co-hosted by three geeky millennials. One in Los Angeles, one in New York City, and one in Washington, D.C. You don't know where this podcast comes from, and you don't know where it'll go. But you do know that you put on the headphones, and you are now listening to The Millennial Falcon. We're talking about The Twilight Zone! For that sort of half-assed... Jordan Peele wrote Serling narration. That was amazing, Willoughby. That was so good. It's, it was okay. I'm <laughs> whatever. Thank you. Let us praise um, you. Yeah, we're talking about not only the Twilight Zone, but all things Jordan Peele. Um, us, Get Out. Um, we may have talked. Keanu. His, definitely to talk. We have to talk about Keanu. His many we many projects going Peele. on right now. Um, he's yeah, got. A- I'm not even sure all the things that he's got in the in the bag right now but i mean he's he's come a long way he's he's he started on mad tv with a bunch of uh comedians as well as his uh um i guess writing partner eventual co-host of key and peel key michael key and the two of them kind of for uh, for like five years have a good run on comedy central doing key and peel and then Jordan Peele uh, says, I'm going to t- do a 180 and go into doing horror um, as well as uh, show running or produ- executive producing the new Twilight Zone reboot. So it's kind of a wild trip to see his career. Like if you, you, you're looking at like a Wikipedia or IMDb and you're like, oh, he cool. He's in some comedies. He's in Matt TV. He's in Key and Peele. He does Keanu with, with Keegan-Michael Key and then get out. The Twilight Zone. Like it's kind of there's no there's no middle ground there. It's kind of wild. One or the other. Uh, Yeah. So why don't we talk about his latest stuff? Uh, the Twilight Zone. Yeah. We've all watched at least the first episode. I've seen the first two episodes that are have are on CBS All Access, which is where you can uh, watch both of the the show. Um, as well as the original Twilight Zone. It's like right next to each other because they're the same title, but it's like yep. there. Um, uh, what did you guys think of the Twilight Zone? Anya, you're a big Twilight Zone fan. So why don't we go to you first? I am a huge Twilight Zone fan. There's no no ifs, ands, or buts, no like average fan. No, I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. I own a Twilight Zone action figure. Like, what is um, what is Twilight Zone? Yes, it's just Rod Serling. No, I own it's uh, Henry Bemis from the episode Time Enough at Last. Wow, I didn't. Do they have action figures for like every famous episode? Not every episode, okay. but like the iconic ones. Okay, okay. Um, even the Time Enough at Last, like monster at thirty thousand feet. <laughs> they probably do have like the Gremlin. Um, but yeah, so like I love the Twilight Zone. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I think it is objectively one of the best shows. Of all time, like I will fight people. It's it's up there. Um, my dad raised me on it, and we've watched it together since I was a little kid. And so when I heard that it was coming back with Jordan Peele at the helm, I I had no hesitation. I was on board. I was excited. I was ready. I was like, yes, Jordan Peele is the correct guy to do this. Like we're gonna bring back. We're gonna Peele's creativity and his brilliant mind infused with the franchise that was created by Rod Serling. I was like, this is a perfect combination of two brilliant minds. Um, And the other thing I was really excited about is that Jordan Peele has shown with all of his projects that he's like very socially conscious. His projects all have social commentary. And The Twilight Zone did that too. The Twilight Zone was not just sci-fi episodes bereft of any sort of like acknowledgement of the time they were made in or social commentary. Rod Serling was very, he very much had his finger on the pulse at the time. And so I thought that this was a perfect marriage. Um, And with the first two episodes, 
I feel like we're already seeing that. Um, and I think that some future ones show that they might even be a little bit more socially conscious than the first two, especially the uh, replay, the one coming up that's going to be about uh, police brutality um, against a black teenager. So I'm really excited for that. I thought the first two episodes were really interesting and fun. I liked how they felt modern and updated, but still felt like the Twilight Zone. Um, I especially liked the first episode, The Comedian with Camille Nanjiani. Um, I thought the second one As was the great. the comedian. Yes. But I just, there was a, there was a ponderous sort of thoughtful element to the first episode that I really enjoyed and that it just kind of let the story unfold and I felt captivated uh, by the whole episode. It's definitely longer than most Twilight Zone episodes, but I thought it kind of took the time it needed to tell its story um, and like be able to breathe as well. So long-winded way of saying I'm really enjoying the Twilight Zone. I think Jordan Peele is the perfect choice. Yay! Uh, HT, what about you? So I'm kind of the opposite of Anya in that I haven't, don't have really any connection to the Twilight Zone. I've seen a few episodes of the original series here and there on reruns on TV, and I've enjoyed each one of them that I've seen, and they're so bone-chilling in their own special ways. I love that they're both cautionary tales that are very tied to the to Rod Serling's progressive values and his social commentary of the time, and also fables, so they feel very timeless and classic. And um, I wondered how that would translate with uh, Jordan Peele's uh, version, which he's executive producing and he's hosting. Um, but going into it without really any knowledge of The Twilight Zone, I really enjoyed the pilot episode. I've only seen the first episode. I didn't watch these episode two. Um, but I liked it a lot. It had both a sort of grounded and heightened feel to it. Uh, the groundedness in that it was like done in this way that felt very just kind of tapped into this this comedy scene and almost felt like you know a typical drama about this sort of um you know this this sort of lifestyle except with just like a little hint of the sinister and um I quite like that and um I did like I liked the premise a lot I thought it was a really cool way of commenting on like the parasitic nature of creativity and comedy and all of that kind of stuff and Kamal and Johnny gives a stellar performance. He is just kind of a little, he's a little, he's a little scary in this. He's kind of vicious. Um, he is. He gives yes. a very like haunted performance, and I quite enjoyed seeing him stretch his his um, acting chops in that way. And um, I did, I am mixed on the length of this episode. I thought it was a little long, um, but because uh, I think the premise is like simple enough that you don't really need that much time but I think it worked uh to just like reintroduce the um the series for a modern age and you kind of need that sort of like establishing it um shot or establishing foundation so um I enjoyed the episode a lot I watched it on YouTube because it's uh the first episode is available on free for free on YouTube um because I don't have CBS all access um I'm considering getting uh, subscription so I can watch the rest of the series or at least maybe wait till all the episodes are out so I can just get a free trial and watch it all then because I don't really have an a motive, an incentive to have a CBS All Access subscription just yet um, I'm not a big Trekkie I'm sorry guys and that's just a, Missing out. A, yeah that's just a matter of my history I've never really like seen the original series I think you would like Star Trek Discovery though and I don't think you would need to watch mm-hmm original star okay. trek series i might do it for michelle yo but um, i mean and doug jones who is just a precious boy and sonequa martin green yes she is she's great you will love everyone <laughs> discovery is Plus, so good all 82 seasons of the big bang theory are on cbs all access waiting for you oh lovely just waiting for you to press play on that bazinga <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'm excited for the Twilight Zone. I'm interested to see where it goes. And um, I I'm, I liked it a lot. Willoughby, what are your yes. thoughts on the Twilight Zone uh, episodes so far? I thought both were very excellent in the fact that it captured, like Anya said, it captures the, the tone of the original series, like almost like 
to the po- to the point where you could imagine like the show has been running for 40 50 years without a break because it just feels like it comes in with such full effect of voice and tone and like fully formed like from the get-go like i you know because like the way that the series is is that it's anthology like there's no story throughout it's just but and but the you know, it doesn't feel like a, a like a wavering pilot that you would watch and you'd be like, eh, it feels a little bit like it, but I won't, you know, I'll catch the next two episodes, see if they get their stride. They hit the stride right away. Like, right away, you know you are in the Twilight Zone. Um, it's sort of, um, it's got, like, I really thought that Tracy Morgan's performance was kind of, insane because like he's so used to being the funny guy yeah and, like, i will say comic tr- tracy morgan almost took me out of it just because i'm so used to seeing him as his character tracy 30 yeah well, as that's tracy the morgan. thing that's the thing is that he's supposed to be this famous comedian within right. the universe and then as things take a turn it like i think he did a really good job of selling the sinister aspect of it all mm-hmm. and i was like oh man he's got some acting chops that i didn't realize because like with 30 Rock, you just sort of assume he's playing himself or at least a heightened version of himself. So there, it was really uh, incredible to see that. Kumail is great. Um, I like that uh, It's it feels like a story that I don't know if Kumail had any input on it, but like it was definitely, it definitely felt somewhat personal because like what we saw with the big sick was like him also plays a comedian. Well, he was playing himself, but also like a comedian that hasn't really hit his stride yet. So, like, this is the second time that we've seen that from him in, like, a fiction or at least in, in like, a media portrayal. So I thought that was an interesting connection. Um, and I thought that, you know, Jordan Peele historically has been the funny guy on Mad TV and Key and Peele. So to see that be the first episode, I thought was a really interesting blend of both worlds that he kind of has both feet in. Um, because you're like, oh, it's funny. Although the jokes are not really funny because if you watch the episode, it's they're not good jokes but also like you're sort of deconstructing what it mean, what it is to be a comedian what it is to be an artist in a way um to a point where it's it get it gets disturbing guys um and then in the second one with adam scott um i think it's fair to say it is a take on the nightmare at thirty thousand feet i guess in the original it's twenty thousand feet mm-hmm. um yeah. this time they're thirty thousand because our airplanes are bigger um um i i I, the way that the the i guess the take on that episode the way they handled doing it differently but still the same anxiety inducing man gets anxious on a plane because of you know some threat i think that the way they do it in this one is so unique and incredible that i was blown away the moment i knew what was happening where I don't want to spoil it because it's so incredible. Like, but the moment that it happens and it clicks for you, like what's going to happen for the rest of the episode, you're just kind of taken aback and you're going, Oh, Oh, this is how they're doing this. This is incredible. This is amazing. Um, And I thought that uh, Adam Scott did a great job of like acting like a man who's having a nervous breakdown, but thinking he's not having a nervous breakdown and just sort of a whole of it being so in the twilight zone uh ether and like like oeuvre is just sort of incredible to see that they've been able to pull it you know come back to it because like they rebooted it in the early 2000s which i think was it cedric the entertainer wow, oh no what a choice. It, it was either cedric the entertainer or forrest whitaker who did the who did the narrator hold on i'm gonna i think it was forrest whitaker now that i think about it uh i'm going to look it up right now, Forrest Whitaker. Sorry, you guys talk amongst yourselves. Um, I have I a question to... for you, actually, guys. Yeah. Um, so I haven't seen this episode, the second episode, but I heard that there were some changes. They made, they modernized the story a bit, um, and it has something to do with like a podcast, mm-hmm. which is a fun sort of meta nod to Adam Scott's own podcast. Uh, was it you talk 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 you to me to me? Was it? What's the name of this podcast? Yeah, some U two U two. You talking pun. to me? <laughs> uh, I was able to figure it out. It was Forrest Whitaker who Ooh. did the, like the narrator 
of the 2000s Twilight Zone, but I remember catching a few episodes and they were not good. Oh, man. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, like, did you guys miss the absence of the gremlin in the original? I didn't. No. Because I like, because it's been, I I don't want to say it's been done before, but it literally has been done before twice. Yeah, Um, the John Lithgow one. mm -hmm. Yeah, so I thought it was really I that's why that's what I was saying like I thought it was an incredible take on the nightmare at 20,000 feet like kind of simplified story. Mm-hmm. Um and I and and like it it's it was very like kind of um I don't know, it blew my mind cuz I was like I wasn't expecting that. I didn't even know I I didn't know what I was expecting even though I knew going in that it was going to be like a, a, a quasi remake of this of the original story. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was cleverly handled. Um, and just, uh, I thought because, um, at first when Adam Scott gets on board, there's a lot of, uh, people of Middle Eastern descent and who are not white. And I was like, oh, is the twist going to be he's racist? Because that was <laughs> like, like he's anxious thinking that something's going to happen because he's racist. Right. That'd be um, very real. That would be real, but almost real. like too on the nose. Right. Like yeah. it, it yeah, feels like too like... obvious of a social commentary. And so I feel like what they actually go for is much more interesting and nuanced. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because like at first you see him like looking around, like they're specifically like he's looking at these uh, people who are of Middle Eastern descent and you're you're looking at him look nervous and you're like, oh, is he going to like turn out to be like a bad person? But I think that his his just anxiety of being like going to war torn areas for um, journalism is like a thing that has like shook him, um, and he has like PTSD, and it's like it all plays into this anxiety that of of the eventual story that like is um, blended really well because it's like a man who he's like not. He's got issues that he's dealing with, and like that's sort of like you're like, is he just, is he just, you know, like not in his right mind? Is he, uh, or is he like, or is what's happening actually happening? Like that's, mm. I think like the the whole shtick behind some of these episodes of like, is it all in their head or not? Um, like Kumail in the first episode, like he didn't, he thought everyone was playing like jokes on him when he would say like you know what when what would happen to him what happened to him and people would be like what are you talking about mm-hmm. um so like that's the that's like the crutch of a lot of these episodes of the, a lot of these stories is like a man or a woman has like a breakdown but they're not having a breakdown but maybe they're having a breakdown um because of what's happening to them is just so unreal um and i think i think they, they do a really good job of of doing the twilight zone and not doing black mirror mm. because Black Mirror gets compared to the Twilight Zone a lot for its premise of being an anthology sh- anthology show that is mostly dour, but it's and it it's fables but about technology and how technology impacts social life, and a lot of people compare the two. But I think now, you know, it's it, it's been a while since I've seen the Twilight Zone uh, before these two episodes. So like the Black Mirror comparisons, I was like, oh, it's like the Black it's like the twilight zone but with technology but what i'm realizing is that the twilight zone is more story-based if it's anything like it doesn't like because anything can happen in the twilight zone it's not restrictive to what ha- what's going on in the real world mm-hmm. even though that's exactly what the point is is to show kind of like hold up a mirror to society mm-hmm. in darkly ways um and but what I think is incredible is that they are not reliant. Like these, these setting, these stories could be set at any point in time, um, and it's not reliant on technology like Black Mirror is. And I feel like that there is an interesting contrast between the two, not just comparison. Yeah, I actually yeah, wouldn't and call I... Black Mirror fables either because I think they are like cautionary tales, and that's what they share in sure. common with Twilight Zone. But Twilight Zone definitely is more of a fable. It feels that's what makes it feel so timeless. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that, like, you know, I've seen people comment on the fact that, like, this new Twilight Zone coming out, like, they can do so much more because the technology has improved so much since Rod Serling's original. But I actually think that's kind of a moot point because Twilight Zone is a series that, first and foremost, should hone its writing. If the writing of the Twilight Zone is not on point, it doesn't matter how good your technology is. You're not going to create a good Twilight Zone episode. 
whereas like Black Mirror is sort of the, the cautionary tale is also a sort of flashy element to the, to Black Mirror. Like they're trying to shock you and create technology and visuals that right, you know right. will blow your mind. Whereas Twilight Zone, even in these first two new ones, they don't do anything particularly modern or groundbreaking with its technology, even though they have more advanced technology. They're still telling, you know, well-written stories first and foremost. And, you know, going back to the first episode and its length, it is a little long. I personally like it because I feel like it allows the story and the characters to breathe more. But the other thing I will say is that, like, this new Twilight Zone, in comparison to the old one, it does feel a little bit more languid. It almost feels... Jordan Peele has a slightly sinister edge as the host. Mm. I don't know if that's just me, but oh, I'm yeah. really getting that. And I feel like I didn't always get that from Rod Serling in the original. Yeah. There's like a there's like a, a sharpness um to this new version that I think the original yeah. Rod didn't Serling quite have. Had, and like a like an avuncular sort of fatherly uh feeling. It was him. clinical. Yeah. 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 And if you watch the original Twilight Zone episodes, like at the very beginning of the episode, you know, you set it up, and then Rod Serling's narration comes in, and then there's a very sharp cut mm-hmm. to Rod Serling in the scene addressing the audience. In this new version, Jordan Peele's narration is kind of slower. He takes more time. And every, at least in the first two episodes, when he gets into the scene, it's like a slow camera pan across the setting to get to him and it's not like that sharp cut of the original and so there's something about this new twilight zone that feels a little more lived in Mm -hmm. and a little more kind of dangerous um and i like that because i feel like i feel like that is jordan peele bringing his horror sensibilities to the series and even though it's not a horror series and it should never be one I like that there is there there is somewhat of a darker tone somewhat well, because it feels like it yeah, reflects I mean, more of Jordan Peele. Speaking of Jordan Peele's horror sensibilities, uh, let's use that opportunity to segue into Jordan Peele as a horror director and uh, what he's what kind of impact he's making on the horror industry and just like the industry at large. Um, I will say this is a little anecdote from what my work and how we've been covering CinemaCon recently. Uh, Universal, who has distributed Us and Get Out, I think they distributed Get Out, yeah, um, had a, pr- a presentation in which they basically just like wax poetic about Jordan Peele for a good 20 minutes. And I think that's really interesting that they've put so much faith and so much support into this one director and it's happened to him so fast into his career as a director. He's only made two feature films, only directed two feature films, and both of them have just been astonishingly good and have had really incisive things to say about different aspects of society and our good horror movies at that. So let's talk a little bit about, um, first let's talk about Us, because I want to talk about it with you, Anya. Yes, um, we should, side note, Willoughby has not seen it yet, so sorry, Willoughby. We're going to try and keep this. We'll keep it spoiler free and we'll try and keep it relatively short so we can get back to the content that Willoughby can join us for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Us just came out. Um, it has made a ton of money so far. It is getting rave reviews. A lot of people were worried about, you know, it being his follow up to get out and whether or not he would have like a sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. And we can very clearly state that he did not have a sophomore slump. And that Us is an excellent film. Yes. Um, I really liked Us. And uh, I think that compared to Get Out, it's definitely much more ambitious, if not as structurally perfect as Get Out was. But yes. I applaud it even more for that, I think, because it's really swinging for the fences. And I enjoy when movies do that. And I like that you can watch it and read it as a straight horror film. And, but it invites and challenges the audience to do more. And I really love when you don't get any hand-holding in that way. And Jordan Peele really trusts his audience to do that, um, that work to get to where it is. And just I remember watching us and, fin- and 
like leaving the theater and not knowing exactly what to think, but being really excited to read everyone else's takes. And it kind of all fell into place with me when I was reading it like in that way. And you're like, yeah, I understand. I see that. Like, yeah, that's totally what I got too. And um, I love that there's so many different interpretations of it. Um, but it's it's such a dense and um, just, and again, audacious film that really just goes for it and has an, a stellar performance from Lupita Nyong'o, by the way, which should should earn her Oscar recognition. It should. But we saw what happened with Tony Collette last year. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, I, yeah, I really loved Us. Um, I, will I say that I liked it more than Get Out? I don't know. I'd, I guess I would respect it more than Get Out because it's just trying to do something so much more. Not just speaking to race, but just like overall like systemic oppression of like minorities and everything like that that was so interesting to me it was just um just so bold and sprawling um i agree yeah so what are your thoughts anya um i agree you know i think i think that get out is probably you know the tighter film Mm -hmm. and i think that's only because it is a simpler film its commentary is much more explicit and not that that's a bad thing or that like it's messaging isn't good, obviously, but Get Out is sort of first and foremost a social commentary with that is kind of built as a thriller, whereas Us really straddles that line of being a horror film. You know, on the one hand, it is a slasher film and it has a lot of those iconic moments that you recognize from the slasher genre. But it also still has that social commentary. And so I think I think you're right. The best word I can use to describe us, especially in comparison to Get Out, is that it's just more ambitious. Like, it's more stylistic. Jordan Peele plays with his cinematography and his stylistic choices more than he did in Get Out. And its commentary, again, is, you know, more up for interpretation than it was in Get Out. And... Again, whereas, like, Get Out, kind of, the social commentary was kind of written through there throughout the entire film. That was just, like, a through line. Us has moments of it where you're not really thinking about the social commentary. You're just focusing on the fact that, like, this is a horror scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are people trying to kill other people. And are they going to get away? So it, it, it really does kind of blend genres a bit more than Get Out did. Mm -hmm. Um... I also don't know which one I can say say I like more. I love them both, and I think they're just so different. Yeah. Um, but I I appreciate that Jordan Peele like aimed higher, yeah. and that he kind of stuck his landing for his second movie. And you know, I think that it's very obvious the film has social commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like the different interpretations of what he's trying to say. I I just thought. Us is an incredibly entertaining film and smart and bold and, you know, from a visionary. I know those are all, like, hyperbolic words, but I feel like they really do apply to Jordan Peele. And he's proving that he earns those adjectives and that title. Um, I also have to say I love the score for Us. Mm-hmm. The score is stunning. It's so good. It's so haunting. Like, yeah. I think the score for us is, is like, on par with uh, iconic themes like Jaws. It is so yes. memorable, and those strings are just, like, perf- They're cap- beautiful. perfectly capture that haunting mood. So, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and Lupita Nyong'o deserves an Oscar, and Winston Duke deserves an Oscar, too, for being a daddy. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> yeah, he just gave be. us a look <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, Oscar for Winston Duke for playing a daddy. And thank you to Jordan Peele for giving us that. I really appreciate that. Um, but yes, Us is very good. Um, so Willoughby, are you planning on seeing it, but just not in theaters because you have not quite been on the horror journey that HT and I have? Because I'm a huge scared cat and probably going to watch this on a Sunday afternoon when it's bright daylight. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, 
But you have seen Get Out. I have. And so what are your thoughts on Get Out, on his Jordan Peele's directorial debut and his film debut and that movie and that phenomenon? Um, Kind of like what I was saying earlier about The Twilight Zone, I think he hits the ground running in terms of like who he is as a filmmaker. I think right away you knew exactly what this movie was going to be um, in terms of both social issues as well as thriller with like a mix of comedy like I laughed a lot and get out um my audience did too like a combination of like nervous laughter from like eh, oh, what's happening like that like that gif of um Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Veep where she's yeah. like the caption is nervous laughter what the, <laughs> what the fuck like that's yeah. sort of like a lot of what was going on in get out but also there were genuinely like funny moments like like actual jokes being played being told in the movie and i i was like like but then also like right and then i would be scared out of my mind and terrified but and then also like joyous at the end because i mean the movie's been two years old but it's like a good ending there like he gets out he gets out of there thank um, god he went with that ending and not his original yeah that yeah, would have been dark i would have been so angry if he had gone with the original ending <laughs> yeah i think that's more if anything more twilight zone uh, than like yeah. what Get Out ended up being because like it would be like he goes through this surreal experience that he really couldn't explain to anybody else, and then and then still ends up and then in reality a, like, in, like hits him position. yeah and then reality hits yeah. him like a sledgehammer exactly so I'm like I'm glad it ended with how it ended and I think I saw Get Out even though like I said I'm seeing I'm gonna watch us eventually when it gets out onto on demand so that way i can watch it in the safety of my own home and put the scissors away i um i i know there's scissors in the in the movie yeah i will say willoughby um us wasn't quite the theatrical experience that get out was i agree get out was one of my favorite theater experiences ever because just the collective gasping and screaming and laughing was a lot of fun i will say us is a genuinely funny film too it is jordan peele keeps up his humor in us and though it is it is scarier there are i laughed out loud multiple times definitely a lot of them having to do with winston duke who is hilarious in this movie and a daddy and a daddy Uh, all right i do want to ask you guys um uh the phenomenon that get out was and the the sort of status that Jordan Peele has gotten because of that film and how it's kind of opened the doors for audiences of like people who don't even like horror to, to wanting to see this and to wanting to be um, involved in it. Do you think that Jordan Peele has sort of like blown the doors wide open for non-horror audiences to embrace his like brand of horror, which is like socially progressive horror? Or do you think that it's like part of a overall trend that we've been seeing in horror lately? I think it's both. Um, I think that I think it is part of a larger trend because I don't think it just started with him. Mm-hmm. Because I think you also have to look at um, Jason Blum and the brand he's created, and also like James Wan. So you have to look at things like the, yeah, any twenty four. So you have to look at things like The Conjuring, The Witch, The Purge franchise, um, you know, things like that. So I think horror in general has been seeing sort of a renaissance and it's been gaining new fans like me and HT mm-hmm. who are understanding that horror can be so much more than what we envisioned it to be. And I think directors are showing us that more. Um, and not that, it, not that horror hasn't always existed. Cause now that I've gone back and watched older horror, horror films, I've seen that the genre has always sort of pushed boundaries in these ways, mm-hmm. but I, I just feel that like, meanings as well. Yeah, but definitely, there's definitely been a trend in the past handful of years that I think Jordan Peele is part of, but he is not the only one. He's not the one who ushered it in. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is part of it. But I do think that Jordan Peele, I think his social commentary is especially kind of what he brought Mm -hmm. to the horror genre. And again, there always have been deeper meanings in social commentary, but never quite the way that Jordan Peele have done it. And I actually think it has a lot to do with the fact that he started in comedy. Mm-hmm. Because I always say that comedy and horror are like the two genres that can have the smartest social commentary, but can also be the hardest 
to create social commentary for because you have to be you have to be smart about it. You have to in comedy, it has to fit with the humor and the jokes have to land, you know, and in horror, you have to fit all these horror tropes and fit in the genre while still providing commentary. Mm -hmm. And so I think the fact that Jordan Peele has experience in both genres and his brain is clearly wired to do storytelling that, you know, gets the reaction out of people and makes them think um, either with laughs or with scares, I think is a really big reason why he's been so successful. And I think that's what he's brought to it. That's a really great point. Himself. Yeah, I really like that um, that angle because I've always thought of the the uh, connection between ho- comedy and horror being about timing, and it, yeah. as you said, it's like it's so much more than that. And they're like they're both genres that are really rich with all sorts of possibilities and all sorts of meaning, and um, often we only see the surface level of that. But Jordan Peele and other directors like James Wan, Jason Blum, um, A twenty four directors are starting to bring that out. Although I do think, um, I will say that it's kind of created the unfortunate trend of critics calling it elevated horror, which is something mm, yes. that is quite elevated. controversial mm. in, the, uh, in the horror community because, you know, it's all horror. It's not, it's, it's you know, co- social commentary in horror has been done before. It's only more visible now. But because more audiences are flocking to horror, people are wanting to separate the ones that are just kind of jump scares versus the ones that actually have a message. But, you know, they're all the same thing. We don't need to call it elevated horror. No, I think... Oh, yes. Did you see that recent uh, elevated horror film, Jimothy? Oh, yes, I did! I cracked a a good smile after watching that elevated horror film. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it's all the same genre still. And I think instead of this elevated horror nonsense we can just say like oh this was a bad film or this was a good film mm-hmm. and here's why like yeah. it, when it, i say it like elevated superhero movies elevated westerns we're not using this term for other good genre films i feel like this is weird right interesting but interestingly i do feel again that the only other genre where a conversation like this happens is with comedy. Mm-hmm. Because people will often talk about, like, smart comedy or dumb comedy. They'll be like, oh, is it, like, just, like, a raunchy teen comedy? Or is it, like, a satirical British dark black comedy? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I feel like comedy and horror are really two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. And it is this kind of, like... I feel like when you get into very very genre specific media it does start to be there is more elitism Mm -hmm. i think you know i think you can also see it sometimes in like sci-fi and stuff um but yeah i think especially with horror or with comedy it's like oh are the jokes about like class warfare in england or are they like fart jokes and then you have this sort of like elitism snobbery thing going on similar to horror like Oh, Jordan Peele's Get Out is nothing about race, but this film over here is just a slasher with a lot of blood. Does one, is in one inherently better than the other because of those elements? Mm-hmm. And so, but I agree that it's kind of nonsense and we should be able to like all things. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about comedy. Yeah, well, I think since I brought up comedy, I was going to segue into Jordan Peele's more comedy career. Okay. Go for it. Um, we've, he's had a very rich uh, comedy career, too. Something that, you know, was more than just Key and Peele. Yeah, yeah. He's he's done, you know, Key and Peele, Mad TV. He's done comedy movies like Keanu, which I am super ashamed to say I haven't seen yet. It's so I good, know. Anya. Let me tell you about... Let me... Let me... Let me... Let me sell you on The Promise. You don't need to sell Keanu. me. I... Good. Because I'm... Because, like, you need to watch this film. Oh, I want to. It I is. wanted to watch it when it came out, and I just never got around to it. I laughed so hard at this movie. It's basically John Wick, but with a kitten. And instead of John Wick, it's Key and Peele. And it's just, it's so good. There's so many good jokes. The There's, like, a level, there's, there's even, like, an ode to filmmaking, 
or like owed to movies in this in this whole thing. Like it's clear that everyone involved with this with that movie like loves movies, loves different genres, loves like the action film, and also loves jokes. The director directed a lot of um, Key and Peele sketches and episodes, and so it's basically like an extended Key and Peele sketch. But there's a lot of heart to it. There's kittens. Keanu Reeves is is actually in it. Like you gotta watch it. It's I'm like it was not seen widely by a lot of people. It did not make a lot of money. It was and it vastly underrated. Out, it came out like eight months before Get Out did. So it was like this whiplash of watching Keanu and then going seeing Get Out. And it's um, it, um, it's just it's so um like underrated it's up there with pop star and like the nice guys like 2016 was the year of underrated great movies um or i guess undervalued because they didn't make money at the box office although they were highly rated yeah um underrated in terms of how much money they made um i watched a lot of mad tv now that i think about it as a kid like it was just on Mm -hmm. and it was i would it, it was on comedy central like all the time and fox i think was the one that provided the new episodes but i think they had a syndication deal with comedy central so like now that i think about it like i see a lot of episodes of mad tv that i didn't think i actually watched um did you guys ever watch mad tv growing up like just like either regularly or like when you know it was on tv i think i would watch it sometimes like late at night and it was a little fast for me at the time i was pretty young when i was watching it and i was just like this is a lot <laughs> but yeah, yeah I enjoyed like, it sometimes. Definitely low humor. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I did not watch it ever. I don't think I ever watched Mad TV in my life. Except for one skit that just because I had like seen the video and it was just like a viral thing and you just quoted it and that was obviously the like can I get your number skit. Yeah, that's a great one. Like oh, yeah. the back of your head is ridiculous. Like <laughs> I can quote that one all day long. But that's because it like that's went viral on the me. internet. Yeah, it was like a pre pre internet viral hit. Yeah, and so like I saw that one, but I never. Otherwise, I never watched Mad TV. Yeah, it was never my thing. He was like, it was sort of like he and he and Keegan Michael Key were just like on the show, like they were just cast members. There was no real focus on them. They were just you know, every it was you know, it was very for those who, who may not know what Mad TV is. It's basically like Fox's answer to Saturday Night Saturday Night Live. Although they didn't do it live and they didn't do it on Saturday night. They did it like Friday nights at like 10, 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. And but it, they had sometimes they had a host like it was really like weirdly like sketched out pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was mostly like sketches and skits. Um, and then like Jordan Peele and Keegan he created key and peel and those had a lot of viral hits i i didn't watch so like every episode of key and peel but like when when like one of their sketches would go viral on youtube i would definitely like watch it to be like oh it's funny ha um that was a really terrible impression of me laughing um <laughs> ha. Yeah, no, i thought <laughs> humor i have it too um the i i just they're great and then like i was sad when they ended their show because they were so funny together but then they made keanu which is really like a nice kind of like bookend to their whole duo as Mm. as two friends they're also going to appear in toy story 4 that's true so they're they're reuniting there that'll be fun um keegan michael key has had his own solo career as like you know like showing up in a lot of projects um but definitely taking a different like he's still kind of stuck in comedy but Jordan Peele somehow is able to like flip over and do horror, but also still make people laugh. I think I, I it's such an his career is so so varied and interesting that it's like kind of like buck wild to think about because yeah. like he started as a sketch comedian and now he's like like the primo like horror director and like Twilight Zone showrunner. Like that's kind of such incredible like this is the perfect example of people contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I feel like it's almost unprecedented the the journey that he's taken from comedy and like from a comedy sketch actor to the prolific director that he is now and producer too. He's doing so many projects right now. I know that he's currently producing a series for Amazon called The Hunt, which is like a Nazi hunting series. He has so many other projects he's juggling. Um, 
can you think of any other directors or like um create like Hollywood moves movers and shakers that have had something similar the closest I'm thinking is perhaps um Donald Glover and his Charles Gambino route and how he went from you know comedy comedy writer actor singer slash rapper and now like a showrunner of this acclaimed Emmy winning series Emmy nominated um no it's one Emmys it's one Emmys and Golden Globes Mm -hmm. I think that um the closest, like, that's a really good example mm-hmm. um, in terms of, like, someone who kind of, like, because, like, Atlanta, for it being billed as a comedy, is not, I mean, it's funny, but it's also, like, death, very, very serious. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I also think that, I, th- I, I mean, the closest director, may, like, proli- in terms of, like, profile and prolificness, maybe Spielberg? Because, mm-hmm. like, he, he went from, and it's not a one to one uh like grafting Parallel. onto it but like he did he did start doing like he was started off doing these like blockbusters and action films and then made the switch to biopics and very oscar Beatty films and like doesn't really do the the action anymore i mean he you sort of saw the duality of of man with the post and then ready player one yes um coming out three months one being apart much better than the other Oh yeah, I mean the post sucks on Ready Player One. Are you, are you kidding me? I'm ready for Ready Player Two. Um, no, that's please. an interesting comparison gonna, because no. I know a lot of people have you know hailed Jordan Peele as like the next Spielberg, which I think is a sort of a not a false comparison, but um, unfair to Jordan Peele. Cause... They did that with they did that with M Night Shyamalan too. Like oh, yeah. it's always a thing. There's always the new like kid on the block who's who made a big splash, usually with a horror horror film um but i think that i i think yeah like the the comparison isn't perfect but i think that there is a there is a part one of spielberg's career and a part two um and i think jordan peele definitely has that with part one being his comedy background and then part two being his horror like thing that he's, he's doing it is interesting because i feel like you sort of mentioned this, Willoughby, but that, like, this happens a lot with horror directors because horror is a genre that can be made for really cheap. And so a lot of small-time directors who kind of film, who direct really cheap, small-bit horror films kind of get plucked out of the crowd and suddenly become, like, big directors. Like, sort of like a James Gunn who did stuff like Slither and then... Even Guillermo del Toro is something of the case too. You could you could sort of see that. I feel like he James has. Wan. I feel like Guillermo del Toro has more stuck with his vision though mm-hmm. than other directors who have kind of like been picked out of horror and like great what small and it's interesting because I think the great thing about Jordan Peele and why he's so effective is that he seems to know the genres and really know how to make them work using his sensibilities of different genres but he always kind of knows what genre he's currently in so i finally saw shazam um and um one of the things that was really jarring for me about the film was that for as funny and as like family oriented it was there were these moments of like very explicit violence Mm -hmm. and kind of scariness that i thought was very jarring for the tone of the film and I thought did not work at all. I actually really and then enjoyed I looked, those looked moments. Oh, I did not. I thought they did. I also did not love Shazam. So oh, oh, I'm we're going to have minority. a conversation about this, Anya. <laughs> I am in the minority. Ding, 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 um, fight. <laughs> um, but then I looked up that the director and I think maybe some of the screenwriters have horror backgrounds mm-hmm. and it suddenly made a lot of sense to me why these moments existed in Shazam. And for me, they didn't work. And I think that directors have to understand if they are going to cross into different genres, they can kind of bring their sensibilities with them and put spins on genres, but it doesn't work unless it's a kind of seamless integration. Mm -hmm. Like Jordan Peele's comedy works in his horror films. They never feel out of place. He knows how to marry them very well. Um, And I think other directors have not been able to marry different genres 
when they jump from one to the other. Mm. I disagree with you on David F. Sandberg and Shazam. I think it's definitely in line with what we've seen with Sam Raimi in his Spider-Man movies in that he marries that archness and the campiness of his horror sensibilities with the same elements in Sam uh, but see, I would argue, but I would argue Sam Raimi does it 10 times better. And also Sam Raimi has the evil dead background too that works with him. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like David F. Sandberg comes from like light out and like genuine horror films. And I do not think that it works in a film like Shazam. I feel like Sam Raimi, he Sam Raimi knows how to do camp and Spider-Man is camp. Shazam was not going for camp. Mm-hmm. They were going for sentimental, feel good, family fun movie. And I do not think that Sandberg did that uh, in certain scenes. Right. Um, and I, I, I will fight to the death for Sam Raimi. I love him. I stand him. He is perfect in my eyes. He can never do wrong. Um, and so I, mean, I agree with you on that. Do not come at me and tell me that Shazam is anywhere near as good as Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films. Oh. I will fight you. Nope, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> no, Shazam is nowhere near as good nope. as Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films. Shazam wishes it could be Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films. I think Shazam does some of the best jobs of recalling that Sam Raimi-esque um, panache that uh, we had with the Spider-Man films. And I don't know what you're talking about, Anya, because Shazam is great, and I'm just not going to listen to you anymore. La, 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 la. (laughs) Anyway, Sam Raimi knows how to do horror and comedy. Jordan Peele knows how to do horror and comedy. The end. Look forward to our review of Shazam later this month. No. (laughs) We're going to do it. Wait, well, there's a bigger movie that comes out in April that I think we should review. We can only do Shazam if I can talk for the entire hour about how hot Mark Strong is. I mean, that's fair, too. So hot. We haven't been this heated since we talked about Joss Whedon. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm ready to fight because I love Shazam. But... This is not an episode about Shazam. This is about Jordan Peele. So we're going to keep on track. Um, <laughs> I think actually we've talked everything. We said everything we've had to say about I Jordan Peele. I think we've Peele. done it. Yeah. I, I, I think we could talk about Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can now just segue into Shazam. HT, Anya, round one. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to use this opportunity to segue into the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. I can't talk about Shazam because I already used it. I really like like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. But sure you, yeah. I mean, you could do it again if you wanted. I could. Have you I seen think... any? I mean, talk about the craziest girlfriend series finale. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I saw a lot of movies this, this week. Oh, actually, I do want to talk about Cold War which I finally saw on Amazon Prime. I'm going oh, first and this if time. you really like, that means you liked it, which is good because I love that film. I mean, who doesn't like Cold War? Who has seen it? Oh, I've, I've heard people who have not liked well, it Well, they're much. they're losers and wrong. I agree. How long is Just the like movie? Just like you're wrong on Shazam, years? Anya. <laughs> huh? Just like you're wrong on Shazam, Anya. I mean, that's fine. I know I'm going to be in the minority about Shazam. It's okay. One of um, the staff writers on, on Slash Film also hated Shazam and I was like I, oh, I didn't understand. I didn't I will not say I hated it okay I thought it was I thought it was fun I just do not think I I felt like it wasn't any better than some other superhero films I've seen recently like it didn't it didn't do anything more for me I thought it was fun okay that's fair that's fine so anyways cold war I also have We'll talk. I, I have a lot of problems with the storytelling in Shazam. I think this. I think the script is a mess. The script is messy, but the characters and the heart really help pull it off. The characters, all of them, but Billy Batson. I can't. Who cares about Billy Batson? I don't care about Billy Batson. He's kind of a dick. Actually, but his arc is so good, and that's the but whole that's point the of it. Point. That he's. Is that's that the point. Is that he's a dick at the beginning. Fosters. All right. <laughs> Maybe we should dedicate an episode to this because I feel like this is something that we I don't need to need talk this to hash out. White boy coming in and saying like, oh, "I'm gonna have a heart of gold now and save." But that's people. not the point. He doesn't have a that's heart of gold. That's literally the, the arc of my life. He's not no pure of heart. Pure that's of the heart. point. That's the point. He's not pure of heart at the. It's just that he he rises up to the occasion, but he he doesn't live up to the whole pure of heart thing because there's no one who is pure of heart. 
Yeah, but the movie never actually like drives that home enough. The script is never clear about that. I think it and then also says it. the way they write Thaddeus as a villain totally undermines that entire message. He's supposed to be a twisted mirror version of Billy in that they but come from basically the same place and that they're very distrusting of people and they have their own trauma. Not you. All right. We need to do this another time, Anya. So I hate I... the origin of Thaddeus so much because it completely undermines the entire message of the film. All right. And I know how you feel about Thaddeus and Merck Strong. We're going to do this another time. So we can talk about what we really like and not what we really hate. Willoughby is like, where's like your popcorn? <laughs> Anyways. I've not seen Shazam, so I can't, that's, I've been silent because I can't attest to anything that's been going also, on here. I'm not going to lie. I just, Zachary Levi has like, uh, he makes it hard for me to enjoy things with him in it these it's days. It's because you know too much about him, right? I know too much about him. I like ugh, his Twitter. Ugh. Well, his Twitter lately has been sweet because he's just been promoting Shazam. Shazam. He's very charming on it. He's a conservative douche. So, here's the thing. Shazam was made during the Cold War. (laughs) Cold War is a time period in which the movie Cold War is set. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Cold War. Nice segue. HT really likes the movie The Cold War. Or is it just called Cold War? It's just Cold War. War. Cold War. Okay, I think the Cold War is a book I read in ninth grade. <laughs> All right, um, I'm gonna go first this time and talk about Cold War, which is the Polish Oscar-nominated film um, directed by Pavel Pavel Pawlikowski. Nice. And um, it is this gorgeous, sumptuous uh, tale of a romance that's doomed. And essentially in free fall for the entire 88 minutes of this film. And yet, despite its lean runtime, it is able to convey this decades-long um, just conflict, tragic yearning and, and uh, relationship that um, is held, it takes, that is between um, this woman who is from a more impoverished background and a man who is a composer. And they... Uh, come together when the Polish government is trying to create a, a folk um, sort of chorus to uh, espouse the the teachings of Stalin. Um, and they, um, it's a really gorgeous, sumptuous film that, despite its dark black and white aesthetic, manages to feel so vibrant and bright and alive. And I absolutely love this. It's basically yearning the movie, a.k.a my shit um i love how short it is so it's merely an hour and a half long so good. and it is able it's just like it's so rich and dense in that hour and a half it just tells so much more story and is so well done in its storytelling that never does it feel like it wavers or feels like it falls short of anything a perfect movie i agree i'm so glad you finally saw it and that you liked it i feel like it's the perfect example of that like you can do sparse storytelling Mm -hmm. and you don't need like three hours to make something deeply felt and have an impact so good so good and it is on amazon prime streaming right now so in fact i was about to watch it and then my dad took me off my amazon plan because he wanted to give the amazon household to my mother because you can only have one other person on your Amazon household. And so, like, I can't really say no because it's my dad. Like, he pays for the Amazon Prime. So, like, he took he took me off. And then I was like, oh, I can't watch Cold War now. Um, now you're might, in your I'm own personal play. Cold War with Amazon. <laughs> and my father. Um, <laughs> and your father. <laughs> which is sort of like the story of the Cold War in a nutshell. Don't ask me why. Um <laughs> Who's Russia and America in this scenario? No, I don't know. I was just doing a bit. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, Willoughby, why don't you tell us about your really like? What is your really like, Willoughby? So Polygon, uh, the the journalism site, they have a lot of really good videos on YouTube. Um, The McElroy's come from polygon at least two of them do and they they no longer are with the the site they left to do their own 
full-time podcasting gig. But in their place is a new guy named Brian David Gilbert. And he has such chaotic energy and is such a great like video game video host, I guess. They gave him his own series called Unraveled in which he takes video game lore and mythology and breaks it down in a very funny video that's usually like 10 to 15 minutes. And it's very like informative. Like you could tell that he did the research and because he did the research, every episode of him is like him slowly losing his mind over the course of the video in which he like either talks about uh, the legend of Zelda timeline across all games, the original uh, Sonic the Hedgehog storyline that is not in any single video game. There's um, a storyline to Sonic and the Hedgehog? There is a, there's like a Bible that was written about like, this is who Sonic is. And none of the games are ever like that. <laughs> and he breaks that down for everyone. And the military hierarchy of Bowser's army was like the latest unraveled video that was released a while ago. But this weekend at PAX East, which is a con, he did a live Unraveled show in which he created the new poker app. That was him. From- he went viral. Okay. Yeah. It is 33 minutes of pure chaotic Pokemon energy that is well worth your time. He is clearly a musical theater kid. He loves performing. And the way he does... The way he like breaks down like rhythms and how to do the poker rap and like the explanations of why the original poker rap from Pokemon uh, is like utter shit <laughs> and how it's like not a rap at all and how he's like there's no rhyme there's nothing like they like they they rhyme Pokemon with other Pokemon that don't rhyme with each other and so he he fixes the poker rap and it's perfect it's incredible and it's, it's the, all five like, gens too build- right. All eight gens. All eight gens. We, God. we are at like eight generations now, Pokemon. Um, he does it in such a way that is so funny. The build up to the actual song is incredible. Uh, we're, we'll we'll link it in the show notes and not the show notes. We don't do that, but the blog. We'll link it in the blog for people to click on and to watch because it is such such pure madness. And I'm very glad that this guy exists and he's doing videos. That's Brian David Gilbert's Unraveled Polygon series. On you could catch him on YouTube, I guess. Yeah. All right. All right. Anya, what is your really like for this week? Um, so similar to HT, I've been watching a lot of really good media lately, and it was hard for me to narrow down one that I ended up going with a not media related one at all because I had an experience this weekend that trumped everything else. Um, And that is that I saw the U.S. women's national soccer team play a game, an international friendly against Belgium. And it was my very first time seeing the U.S. women's team. A little bit of background. Soccer is my favorite sport. I love it a lot. I played for over a decade uh, growing up myself. And I have watched professional soccer since I was a kid. And is just something that means a lot to me. And I love the U S women's team, especially just because they are, they're so good and inspiring and they have won numerous world cups, uh, three and numerous gold medals. And the U S men's have won none <laughs> ever. Um, so the U S women are badass. So my first time seeing them play live and they were incredible. They beat Belgium six, nothing. Yeah. Um, and it was just exhilarating and I was very proud to be there and, proud of this team that I love so much um I cry pretty much every time they're in a tournament if they win or lose I just always cry um and this ended up being a very special game that I was not expecting um the U.S. women's national team their second world cup win was in 1999 they won here in California um and it was when Mia Hamm was on the team and so it's been 20 years and so at halftime no idea they were going to do this. At halftime, they brought out the entire 1999 team, showed a montage of that World Cup, like, journey, um, and then, you know, talked to some of the teams and teammates, and Mia Hamm was there, and I started crying. Um, and it was very emotional. Um, and I will loop in media, because there were randomly a lot of celebrities at this game. Like, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend brought Luna, like, just for shits and giggles, but then... Natalie Portman, Jessica Chastain, Ava Longoria, 
Uzo Aduba, they were all there promoting equal pay because currently the U.S. women's national team is embroiled in this big lawsuit about the fact that the men get paid more than them, even though the women are more successful. Um, and so these actresses were there kind of supporting that and cheering on the women. And so I was like, what are all these celebrities doing here? Um, but it was for a good cause and it was exciting. So it was just a great night. Good to see these this team that I've loved for so long and also, you know, a um, little bit of feminism in my sports and cheering on badass women who deserve equal pay or maybe even more pay than the men in this case. Um, so yeah, I just really liked seeing uh, this team for the very first time. Yay, I'm glad that you got to see them and it was so special to you. It was, yeah. Yay. All right, um, well, that is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts that you guys want to come share with us about uh, Jordan Peele, not Shazam, <laughs> um, <laughs> Cold War, uh, the Unraveled series on Polygon and YouTube, um, or if you're into sports and want to come chat with us about that, I can't promise I have much to say about any other sports other than soccer and the Olympics, but I can try. Revision, <laughs> tell us all about Shazam and how great it is. Um, no, yes. do not do that. Do um, that on and... specifically. <laughs> and Willoughby, Everybody go they... see Dumbo. <laughs> and Willoughby, where can they come and not talk to us about Shazam? You can talk to us about Dumbo and all things Dumbo related. Um <laughs> on facebook if you search for us there we're also on twitter at falcon podcast our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com you can rate review and subscribe to us on itunes google play and soundcloud and where can they find you guys talking about dumbo you can find me at htranbui on twitter talking about shazam and all the time shazam you can find me at anya crittenton on twitter talking about hot dad colin farrell in dumbo and you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs, losing my mind on the internet. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.